As we move into December, we're beginning a new series of messages based upon the prophecies of the Savior. How do we know that this baby born in the manger is the Christ, the risen Lord, the Savior that we worship today? How do we know that? Well, we're going to take a look at some people who hundreds of years before the birth of Christ described exactly what would happen and how Jesus' life proves that he and he alone is the Savior and Lord. We're going to begin this morning in a prophecy found in the Psalms, in the second Psalm, the seventh verse. And we'll see how we truly know who is this child in the manger. It's December, and that means that Christmas is right around the corner, which means that Christmas cards are soon to fill all of our mailboxes. That's an exciting time. I enjoy Christmas cards. Uh, Marsha typically displays the cards that we receive around our house. That's always a lot of fun to take a look at them. But, but every year when Christmas cards start to come, we, we go through the same kind of a questioning process as we look at the card and wonder, now, now who is this? <laughs> Now, now Marsh and I both have big families, and, and I can figure those out pretty well. I've, I've learned through the years who everybody is in her family. I already knew who was in my family. But we also receive cards from people that we have both worked with and been at school with in the years. And Marsh has worked with a lot of people that I don't really know them all that well. And so when I, I look at their card, I, I, I kind of have that question. Now, now, now Marsha, who is this? <laughs> The good news is that Christmas cards, whoever the card may be from, they all point To the very same person. Because at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Jesus. In fact, celebrations of his birth go all the way back to the beginning. And I don't mean just back to Bethlehem. I mean even farther back than that. To the very beginning of everything. To the book of Genesis. To creation itself. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some of those early prophecies that we find in the book of Genesis and move through the Old Testament, see some of those incredible prophecies fulfilled directly and completely in the life of Christ. The first prophecy we're going to take a look at is about Jesus' identity. Who is this baby born in the manger? We're going to take a look at one of the prophecies about his identity. There are many, but we're going to focus on one found in Psalm, the second Psalm, the seventh verse, where the Bible says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. We need to understand that this baby born in Bethlehem is no one less than the son of God. Now, that's a family tree to remember. You ever wonder why the genealogies are in in the Bible? Uh, These are the passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that are a list of names. In the King James Version, we call them the begats because that word appears over and over again about this person begat, that person who begat, that person who begat, that person. It's a little bit like reading the phone book. Or more specifically, it's reading a family tree. Even your own family tree can get a little bit monotonous sometimes, especially if you don't know who everyone is. But there are some family trees that that you should pay attention to because there's a reason why these passages are in the Bible. For one thing, 
If someone was just writing a story, if someone was just creating this, if they were just making a collection of myths and fables, why would they include this long list of names, some of the names we don't even know who they are? Well, for the same reason that whoever it is that did the genealogy of your family includes the name of that great-great-uncle Fred, that nobody really knows anything about him, but he's there because he's a link in the chain. He's a part of the family tree. He connects this person to that person, the people that we do know. And even though we may not know great-great-uncle Fred, somebody did. And with enough research, we could prove that we're related to great-great-uncle Fred. Now, now, for example, just think about it. If somebody comes up to you and says, I'm related to George Washington. Well, you might act like you were impressed, but you might wonder, well, how do you really know that? Well, if they come to you a little bit differently and say, well, here's my father and here's his father and here's his father and here's his father and here's his father. And they go all the way back to great, 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 great grandfather. George Washington, then you might be a little more impressed because they've shown you the link. They've shown you the chain. They've shown you the tree, the connection between them and George Washington. That's why the genealogies are in the Bible. Jesus saying that he is the son of God is one thing. But the Bible goes to great lengths in proving that truth, that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. And the genealogies are a big part of that proof. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 both record the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew records the genealogy from the royal family of David because Matthew was primarily written for the Jewish people. And they would trace genealogy from a legal perspective, and that's the way that Matthew presents it. Luke presents the genealogy of Christ in a way that Gentiles would have understood it, because Luke is writing primarily Gentiles. He he writes the genealogy from a natural perspective. Both of the genealogies point to the same truth, that Jesus is the real historical figure who is directly related to David, the king of Israel. Now, now why is that important? Well, because that's exactly who the prophecies foretold that the Messiah would be. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Now, up to that very last statement, the Lord our righteousness, you, you may think that that description there in Jeremiah 23 is just of a great king, someone who would be in the lineage of, of David, someone who would rule well. But all of a sudden, that last phrase changes everything. David had many descendants, and he had several of them who actually did sit on the throne of Israel. But there's only one that could be identified as the Lord our righteousness. To call anyone who is not the Son of God, who is not truly one with the Father, who is not truly God themselves, to call them the Lord our righteousness, that would be blasphemous unless it's true. And that's exactly who Jesus 
is. He is in the lineage of David, fitting exactly within those very specific prophecies, but he is also the Son of God. The only one who could be identified as the Lord, our righteousness. Now more on that in just a moment. But right now, let's take a look at some specific prophecies about the lineage of Christ. Genesis 22.18 says that he will be a descendant of Abraham. Genesis 49.10 says that he will be of the tribe of Judah. Numbers 24.17 says that he will be a descendant of Jacob. Jeremiah 23.5 says that he will be a descendant of Jesse, the father of David. Matthew and Luke's genealogies both show this to be the case about this baby born in Bethlehem, the child Jesus. So the genealogies are there for a reason. They're to show us that this one Jesus, this baby born in Bethlehem, is in fact the one foretold by the prophets. This is the guy. But the genealogies are more than just an index for history. This Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, the prophecies foretell the birth of Christ. They they point directly to Jesus. And, And depending on exactly how you divide them up, there are between 200 and 400 different prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. The number, though, is not really the most amazing thing. What's really amazing is that Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. A few years back, two authors, Peter Stoner and Robert Newman, calculated the odds that one person, this person named Jesus, born in Bethlehem, later known as Jesus of Nazareth, that this one man could have fulfilled even just eight of the prophecies about the Messiah. And they calculated what that would be. And they came up with the odds being 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, I'm not much of a mathematician. I know that's 10 with 17 zeros after it. I have no idea what that number is called. So it helps to visualize exactly what that means. Those odds, 1 in 10 to the 17th power, it would be roughly the same as covering the entire state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep. The entire state, border to border, covered with silver dollars two feet deep, then blinding someone in Oklahoma, sending them across the border into Texas and telling them, walk as far as you want, travel as far as you want to go, and when you're where you want to be, reach down into that pile of silver dollars and grab one silver dollar. The odds, 1 in 10 to the 17th power, would be the same as doing that and that person reaching down and grabbing the one silver dollar of all of those millions and millions and millions of silver dollars scattered across the state of Texas, that one silver dollar that you had marked with an X. That's an amazing reality. Again, remember, these were the odds of Jesus just fulfilling eight of the prophecies in the Old Testament. But Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies that the Bible gives about the Messiah. And as amazing as that might be, what's even more amazing is what those prophecies foretell about Jesus. This morning, let's look at just one. And that's here in this Psalm 2, verse 7. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. 
he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, this prophecy is publicly declared in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, where at Jesus baptism, the voice of God is heard coming out of heaven, declaring, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You may know some famous people. You may even know some powerful people. But you only know one that the father announced to the world, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Back in the days when buying records was the only way to get music, most of us of a certain age would travel out to the record store when we wanted to buy something. And we'd look for that album that we've been hoping to get, and we'd bring it home, we'd, we'd put it onto the, the stereo, start playing, and it just wasn't quite what we had hoped it would be. I found this to be true about some albums that I bought from a couple of different companies uh, called Ronco and Ktel. Some of you may remember them. They, they sold albums where they would have a lot of top 40 music squished onto one Album for $3. It was an amazing deal. You got way more songs than you usually got on any album. And it was way less than any of the albums usually cost. So I'd grab one of those albums that was the top 20 hits of that particular year. I'd take it home, put it on my stereo and start playing. And it sounded terrible. (laughs) Something about the process that they used to squish that many songs onto one disc created a horrific sound. It sounded like top 20 music being played in the bottom of a well. There's just nothing quite like the original. There are those through history who have claimed to be the one. Some have claimed the title of Messiah. Some have even claimed the title of God. Others have claimed that they alone know the way to peace and enlightenment. But only one can prove he is the one and only Son of God. That's the baby in the manger. Over the next few weeks, we're going to find out why he is the only one who can make that Claim, But for this week, realize that as we enter into this Christmas season, as we enter into this time of celebration, we are worshiping no one less than the one true Son of God. Heavenly Father, as we read these prophecies this morning and the weeks to come, help us to realize what this means. That what we celebrate at Christmas is not just a nice story. We celebrate the birth of your son. The coming of the Christ into our world. Help us to recognize what that means. What that means for us as a people. What that means for us as a church. But most importantly what that means for us as individuals. Because if... Indeed, Jesus is the only Son of God. There is salvation nowhere else. So this morning, Heavenly Father, help us to see who this baby in the manger really is. 
Help us to see the one true Son of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to sing together. As we do, I invite you to consider what God is doing in your life this morning, maybe for the very first time. You've recognized, wait a minute, this Christmas story is much more than I ever realized it is. I need to know this one called Jesus. And we want to help you to do that. Electronically, we've developed a a form where you can give us some information. And we'll send to you details about how you can know Jesus Christ, the one true Son of God. And not just know about Him, but personally know Him and receive His forgiveness and His everlasting life. If you'll just go to the address nationalheights.org backslash hello, there are links for that in our Facebook a video feed, and then also on our webpage. Just click on that link. It'll take you to a form where you can give us some contact information. Check the box. I want to follow Jesus as my Savior. We'll get that information out to you. Maybe there's another way that God's dealing in your life today. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd be glad to get you information how you can be a part of what God's doing here at National Heights. Or maybe you have a prayer request. There's a place right at the bottom of that digital form where you can write out your prayer request, and we'd be honored to be praying with you in this week to come. But I invite you this morning to consider what does it really mean that this Jesus truly is the Son of God? What, what's the implications of that for my life? Because that's the most important reality that you're ever going to consider. And we'd like to help you with that. So as we sing this morning, you, you consider what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God?